everybody. This is Alan Peterson with Meet the Thriller Author. And uh, for this podcast, I have uh, Kevin uh, Tomlinson, who is, uh, has a lot of books out there. He's written uh, science fiction and uh, nonfiction, and now he's in, uh, writing thrillers. So I'm excited yeah. to have him on the show. How are you doing, Jeff? Uh, Kevin, sorry. <laughs> I'm good. You, yeah, if it makes you feel better, call me Jeff. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, How are you, uh, Alan? Yeah, I'm doing good. Good thing I can edit this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you never. Okay, we just had this discussion about me being on like a thousand podcasts, and I uh, one thing I've learned is that listeners love hearing the goofs and glitches. So you could probably just leave that in, and you you'll be just fine. <laughs> all right, all right. So see, yeah, see, you don't seem to be offended, so that's good. I'm glad. I'm embarrassed, but okay, I'll, I'll leave it in. <laughs> no problem. At all. Uh, all right. So for our listeners who uh, aren't familiar with you with you or your uh, books, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? please sure uh okay so i i've been a writer all my life uh and an author probably since around uh 2008 uh, actually technically i i always tell people i wrote my first book when i was five years old which is not a lie it's uh it's just a, it was a you know handwritten affair on notebook paper and i was quite proud of it but these days i write using my macbook air and uh I tend to uh, write a lot more words, but the uh, the gist of my career at this point is that I am a full-time author, although I do some side gigs um, and uh, do a little copywriting work still, uh, but I'm a full-time author. My wife and I are about to hop in an RV and travel full-time while I write books. Uh, it's a very serious affair for me, and then the whole thriller aspect of my writing um, happened recently. Um, and I, I, it, it's a great story. I'm sure we'll get into it, but uh, that's become something of a passion for me. So I'm, I, I consider myself at this point to be a thriller author and speculative, fi- speculative fiction dabbler at this point. <laughs> oh, okay, so is the Cohello, uh, the Coho Medallion, is that your first thriller book then? Okay, so you, technically it is my first full-fledged thriller, and and here's what I've learned. I, I I did not realize this was the way the name was pronounced, but I was told it's pronounced Quelo, so Quelo Medallion. But fear not, I was mispronouncing <laughs> it for like a year. But yes, that's so. The way this started, I've written some things that that could technically fall into the thriller category. Uh, my book Evergreen was more or less a thriller. It was it, it had some supernatural elements to it, but that it made it. You know, there are a lot of thrillers out there that have those aspects I've discovered since then. But the 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 story behind Quello Medallion was um, I have a, a friend and writing partner and business partner named Nick Thacker, who is a thriller author. That's his that's his full time gig. Uh, well, he he works, but that's the bo- the books that he writes are all thrillers. Um, and he he loves what I write. He, he and he's always kind of teased me. He basically dared me to write a full on thriller. So um, I took the dare. I wrote the book. Um, I, I kind of went into it saying, you know, I'm not going to like this. It's, there's no spaceships. There's no aliens. There's no, you know, no one has superpowers. Uh, but I wrote, I wrote this first thriller, and uh, he read it. He loved it. Um, I put it out to my list, my mailing list. They loved it. And suddenly, I'm getting uh, this is like my best selling book of all time. It's it's made me more money than any other book. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, suddenly I'm like, well, there may be something to this. So on a dare, basically, I switched genres and became a thriller author. And I've written, um, I've written some short fiction that ties in with that book. But I've got a full on. Um, I don't know. I don't like calling it a sequel because it's not really that type of series. It's not a serialized story. It's, but it's a follow up to that book. And then I'll probably write several more in that in that vein. So like with the same characters, is it like a same, yeah, they're like standalones, but it's the same characters exactly. in the same world. Okay, yeah, kind of like um, it's a lot like the Jack Reacher novels, yeah. you know, um, where whereas my character's not a, he's not a tough as nails, hard ass uh, ex military guy, but I mean he's a super wealthy, he's kind of you know he's very intelligent, multiple PhDs kind of guy, you know, so he's a he's the intellectual Jack Reacher, we'll say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And so, how, well, that's interesting. So, you say you're going to be writing them on a, on an RV. Is that your future ones are yeah. going to be written on an RV? Oh yeah. So the 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 short version of that story is, um, let's see. I think about a year ago now, my wife comes into my my office in our home. We we owned a, a fairly large house, and I had a studio and I had my office. And you know, she comes in and uh, she says, "Hey, you remember when you were talking about you know this dream you had of." selling the house and buying an RV and traveling full-time. And I, I said, I vaguely remember this uh, that I talk about every day. And she says, uh, she says, well, why don't we do it? And so, you know, after I 
pick myself up off the floor. You know, we we put the house in the market and we sold it, moved into a, a one bedroom apartment for a while. And uh, come October, now we've already purchased an RV. We purchased one about two months ago. We've already taken some some pretty good trips in it. Um, but come October, we're downsizing into that RV full time. And the idea here is to drive around the country and find places that appeal to us. And I'll sit and write books for you know a month or two, and then move on to the next place. Uh, kind of a roving book tour slash you know ins- mobile inspiration kind of thing. Wow, that's awesome! Hey, if you make it to San Francisco, you gotta let me know. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And that's definitely one of the ones. We have some friends that live in San Francisco um, and in the the Bay Area there, and we we uh, definitely want to get up into that region. The only problem for me personally about heading to your your side of the country is uh, there's you know first of all there's a mountain range in between us, but then there's a desert, <laughs> and the <laughs> desert is really the thing that that makes me nervous. Um, we barely got. You know, the RV we got is great, but it's gas powered, so it doesn't handle uh, like really steep inclines very well. So there was a moment of fear when we were in Colorado recently uh, <laughs> that we weren't going to make it. And so I thought, well, th- that was bad enough, but I can't imagine taking this thing across, you know, a few hundred miles of, you know, scorching hot desert with nothing but, you know, nothing around, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah you'd be challenged here too then with the, the steep hills here. <laughs> Yeah, I, although it does it does hills okay. What it, the steeper they are, the worse it is. But you know, whatever. I mean, we'll we'll park somewhere nice then and just rent a car. We'll just do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now you said uh, so you started writing thrillers at, at, as a challenge. Uh, uh, your friend threw threw down at you. But were you had you were you a fan of the genre before? Like, did you read thrillers or you before you started writing them? Um, yes, I I. What's funny is I I read a ton of thrillers without actually realizing they were thrillers um, for the longest time. Now, when I decided I was going to write in this genre, what I did was go out and find the you know, top three or four authors in, in the genre and read a bunch of their books. <clears throat> but before that, I mean, I never even really thought about it. But like, you know, Dan Brown's books and uh, Stieg Larsson, the whole like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, those, that series, uh, you know, I, I devoured all those um, early on and a bunch of... Uh, uh, David Baldacci's books, and you know, uh, I had already r- read a great deal of these without ever quite realizing what it was I was reading. So, <laughs> um, so I, you know, and I was a big fan of the the, the movie genre as well because, you know, there, you know, who wouldn't like? Well, for example, National Treasure. Um, who wouldn't like that movie? I mean, who wouldn't like that scenario? And so, you know, that those elements uh, have stuck with me, but. Uh, afterward, I mean, I started reading like Robert Ludlum and, um, you know, a, a bunch of other, uh, a bunch of other thriller authors that I discovered sort of after the fact. And that's, that's been a big, um, influence on me recently. I mean, I've, it's opened my eyes to the sort of thing that can be done mm-hmm. <laughs> that I wasn't, wasn't really thinking about. You know, James Rollins is another good example. Like I, I, I'm just devouring those books now because they're, they're interesting. Um, what's fascinating to me, though, okay, coming to this genre was an awakening for me because um, all, if you read my any of my fiction, and I've, I've told people this for years, but um, now I actually have something else I can point to, but uh, you could read any, any of my books, and the characters are what matter. Right, mm-hmm. so you could take the characters from, say, my Citadel series, which is all science fiction, and transplant them to modern day America and give them a slightly different scenario, or you know, keep keep essentially the same scenario, and the story wouldn't really change. I mean, it, other than the fact that there's an alien in it, I mean, it's it's a it's the same kind of book I write now. Yeah. <laughs> and the setting is just what determines that it's science fiction. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. The genres are really changing. Then and there's so many sub- yeah. subgenres now that it's just kind of hard. So, yeah, like when I say thriller, basically it's like mystery, suspense. I mean, it's a it's a huge. Well, it is a pretty broad genre, I yeah. will say. I mean, I, and I read a lot of books, uh, like A. G. Riddle's um, whole Atlantis Gene um, series. Um, those books were thrillers, but they're they're really science fiction, and. I started looking like, well, okay, Michael Crichton, I think he's technically a thriller author, right? But, I mean, everything he wrote was science fiction, you know? And he's got books about time travel. There's nothing <laughs> there's nothing that is more firmly entrenched in the staples of science fiction than time travel, right? 
cloning dinosaurs. You know, these these are all um, these are all science fiction concepts. But he wasn't really known as a science fiction author. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because dinosaurs then start chasing and eating everybody. Then it start, then it gets to a thriller. <laughs> yeah, now it's in thriller. Yeah. yeah. Now, you, now you've got Malcolm, you know, running from uh, <laughs> from dinosaurs and having to use his brain to survive or whatever, yeah. uh, and somehow surviving the first book. You know, I won't get into that. I don't know. I I always have this contention because you know he died in the first book. At least it looked like he died. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. See, I've never even read the first book. Oh, uh, you need to read it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people t- uh, point to that book too as being a. Kind of an inspiration for them, so yeah, I have to I have to read it. Yeah, and that's that's also what I mean when uh you know because obviously I read Jurassic Park for example. I mean I read that uh, in reaction to the film, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'd read a ton of books. Uh, you know that that got me on a whole Michael Crichton phase, and then I read books that were sort of like the Michael Crichton, and you know before you know it, I've read a ton of books that I never even knew were thrillers, um, <laughs> and it is a a malleable genre, I think, because you do have, you know, the sort of hard spy tech type thrillers next to, you know, uh, the uh, here's a virus that's going to wipe out humanity, and then here's a, a, an alien life form that is that is running amok in you know modern day America, and these guys are going to hunt him down. I mean, you you have that sort of range in the thriller genre, and once I realized that, it it keyed me into a couple of things that. Um, I really enjoy about writing, and that is, <clears throat> all right, I have always enjoyed stories that were set in the, con- the contemporary world. When I read fiction, even when I read like comic books and that sort of thing, the, the stories that I always liked most were the, the everyday stories that surround these extraordinary people. You know, some of my favorite uh, issues of X-Men, you know, were like, the Christmas ep- uh, issues where, you know, Wolverine and gang are going Christmas shopping, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just dumb, but it's like this idea of having a contemporary world where there's something extraordinary happens has always appealed to me. I like books like Stephen Gould's jumper. Um, my book evergreen is, I always kind of consider that to be a spiritual cousin of jumper because it's, you know, the same, same general idea of a protagonist with an extraordinary ability in, in the contemporary world. And, uh, thrillers actually offer an opportunity to take that, that sort of idea and, and sort of go, um, broader with it and start showing some like global implications and, you know, uh, how would this affect the world if suddenly we discovered that, you know, Aliens really did crash land in Roswell in, in the 40s or, you know, uh, there is a virus that's getting out of hand and wiping out, you know, an entire state or something, you know. Those those ideas are intriguing and I, I like following that. And the fact that it's set in a contemporary setting means that I don't have to invent the whole world. I can do the extraordinary stuff on a micro scale uh, and then show the result of it on the macro yeah, that is it. It is an incredible uh, genre. That's one of my favorite genres as a reader too, because yeah, like you said, you can go contemporary, yeah. you can go to the historical. Uh, yeah. you know, yeah. If 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 you get tired of reading Michael Connelly and uh, and Bosch, you can read uh, Harry Holmes, kind of like an Norwegian yeah. version of uh, Bosch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, yeah. a cool genre. <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I think uh, these authors, by the way, are the guys that I admire. Um, when you read, like, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Well, I can't remember. Uh, for some reason, it's his name has just dropped right on my brain. The guy who writes the Jack Reacher books. What's his name? Oh, Lee Child. Lee Child, yeah. thank you. Uh, his name just bounced right out of my head. Um, because there's also Lincoln Child. And there's all, you know, oh, yeah. it's like, guys, what? <laughs> but, uh, you know, Lee Child, you watch interviews with that guy, right? And he's like, yeah, I don't exercise. Uh, I, you know, basically, my I have I live on a steady diet of cigarettes and coffee and scotch. And uh, you know, I'm like these are the guys. When people thought about writers, any time through throughout the past like thirty, forty, fifty years, it's guys like Lee Child that they were thinking about. You know, yeah. the sort of modern day Hemingway who, uh, you know, is probably going to die young, but he's going to leave behind a legacy. You know, yeah. so there's something kind of cool about being a part of that that group i was always um you know you look at look at my branding okay honestly i'm a quirky guy i, I like I occasionally wear a, a bow tie i make a lot of jokes about having no pants on i uh i uh am i i go for funny uh, but there's that part of me that always wanted to be the 
sort of, you know, rough and tumble, like, you know, I'll, I, I'm as rough as my characters, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Lee Child's like, I just read an article where he just sits down and starts to write. That's, this guy yeah. has no idea. What's your, yeah, that's uh, do you do, do you pass or do you like, do yeah. very, oh, okay, how does that work? Uh, and I call this basically my irony style because I, I do a lot of jokes about being pantsless. It's kind of part <laughs> of my brand now. Um, but I'm a complete pantser when I sit down to write. I, I don't have a clue one um, what that story's going to be when I start typing. And I don't handwrite anymore. I used to longhand um, stories but uh, because that's what I was told real writers do. Uh, but that's... That's what's known as BS, yeah. uh, by the way. Um, real writers write, and it doesn't matter how they write. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I sit down, and I, I maybe have a general idea. The book I'm working on now, it's called The Atlantis Riddle, um, and it is uh, another Dan Kotler book. It's a, it's a sequel to, to Quelo Medallion. Um, it picks up essentially where the events of Quelo Medallion left off uh, a few months after, and you see some fallout from it. And one, one of the things that I enjoy is uh, I like I tie all my work together. There's always something in one of my books, a little Easter egg, that ties it to every single other book. Um, and it might be subtle. You know, there's there's an instance in uh, Quello Medallion uh, that ties it to Evergreen, and there, therefore they're all in the same universe. Oh, right? cool. So even, that's though just, even though the different genres and everything. Right, awesome. yeah. And the, the way I ch- did that is I cheated. I, uh, I wrote a fantasy series I need to finish out now, um, uh, the Sawyer Jackson series. It's kind of a YA fantasy series, but the, uh, the story has this idea of an omniverse. <laughs> <laughs> so because these guys can move around from universe to universe, everything that I write is part of that omniverse. So I cheat. <laughs> I created my own universe. Yeah, awesome. so, uh, I kind of stole that idea, I'll be honest with you, from uh, Stephen King, because that's, that's essentially what he does with his Gunslinger books, the Dark Tower stuff. Oh, okay. I haven't read those, yeah. Those are amazing. If you, if you, um, I don't know what genre the Gunslinger stuff falls into, the whole Dark Tower series or whatever, but, um, I mean, it's not horror. It's fantasy, I guess, but if, you're, if you are a fan of Stephen King at all, you should read those because he, he does this, uh, something very similar. Like he'll tie them all, in, all together. But, yeah. uh, but your question was about my, my style, and I, I completely pants it. Um, and what I've discovered with thrillers that's a little different from the rest of my fiction is uh, because I generally have three or four different plot lines running at the same time, I have to keep more notes as I write. So I don't outline before, but I essentially outline during. <laughs> okay, yeah. Just to kind of keep things straight. And I, I like to use um, this uh, method I learned from uh, uh, writing for comics, uh, the DC writing for comics, whatever that, I can't remember the title, so I'm, I'm flubbing that. But uh, there's, a, there's this paradigm that they use for keeping track of multiple plots in an ongoing story. And I use that, a very similar version of that paradigm, um, which is to say I introduce plot A, and then I introduce B and C, and then I'll resolve plot A at some point, and then B and C, uh, B becomes A, and then you know everything shifts, and then I'll keep going. Well, the advantage of that is that when I get to the next book, I might still have a, a thread or two from the previous book that I can just just pick up and and run with. And in the case of um, Atlantis Riddle and Quayla Medallion, I mean, there are characters who appeared in the first book who are really just supporting characters who um, got them got into you know trouble or whatever uh, in some way. They were injured or or something, and then you kind of see their fates play out in the next book. And one or two of those won't be resolved until say you know three or four books from now. So. That's I do that because it's interesting to me. It's a nice little balancing act, um, but it also makes my world feel more real. Uh, it makes my characters have more depth because you know in the real world we don't just meet someone and interact with them. You know if you find yourself in a uh, you know a fierce gun battle with two or three strangers, uh, those strangers are your friends for life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we don't just you know forget them and move on. So. Yeah, I, I like to lace my stuff with that. Yeah, that, yeah, that is a good point. That's something like with a Jack Reacher. Like every book, you know, he, all these people, and then you can like never hear from them again. Right. And it all starts fresh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
And I, I, I know why, because I mean, it's difficult. And Lee Child, I mean, I've, I've heard an interview with him where he said, because um, he got into this, he and I actually have similar backgrounds. We both, we both worked in television. Uh, we both left television and ended up writing because that, that just seemed natural. Um, but, you know, when he got started, he wanted to create, a, he felt so completely um, dis, disenfranchised and powerless over the circumstances leading to his departure from TV that he wanted to create a character that would, that could just own everything, you know, just walk into a room and he's the baddest badass in the room. And, um, you know, so, you know, he created his ultimate, I guess, id, you know, I mean, <laughs> this is who he wants to be. Um, so, you know, thinking about that, you, you realize that these, this is a nice outlet, uh, for all these things you want to accomplish now, but, for him, he ends the story, uh, and then the only thing left is Jack Reacher. So, in terms of say a Star Trek episode, you know, like these old ship in a bottle episodes where everything happens on one set, mm-hmm. he's the ship in the bottle. You know, Jack Reacher is the set. You know, everything else happens as a vehicle for Jack Reacher. Yeah. <laughs> and I was never comfortable with that idea. I mean, I want I want my character to live in a world that the the reader might recognize as their own, at least in part. And I, I want them to grow attached to characters and wonder about them and then have that paid off at some point. Yeah, they, yeah you can grow, your characters can grow then too. Right, right. Because, you, know. you know, they may, they may become a major character. I, in Coelho Medallion, I introduced um, a, uh, her name is Dr. Evelyn Horelica, uh, and she is uh, basically kidnapped. She's a kidnapped victim. And that was going to be her role. That was it. You know, uh, I didn't. I wasn't going to flesh her out any more than that. She was just going to be um, uh, sort of a, uh, a motive <laughs> for, for some of the characters. And uh, first of all, I don't think that's entirely right to do. I don't think it's right to introduce characters simply so that they can be murdered, killed, uh, murdered and killed. Happen to be the same thing, but you know, murdered and kidnapped, or you know severely beaten or whatever and that's the hero's motive for going forward i think um that's sort of you know untrue uh that's sort of disloyal to both the characters and to the reader i want to introduce characters who have more depth than that they're not throwaway characters they have lives and they go on and exist even off the page so that's the kind of writer that i am though i'm a i'm a i'm definitely a um character author i mean that's mm. what i'm writing is that character story i'm not writing about you know viking villages and and you know uh, medallions and lost cities and all that stuff that stuff is just you know there for the the character to show the character's depth and their uh their abilities so as you're writing you start thinking oh i could really i can see her having a bigger role or i can see her having a bigger role in another in the next yeah. novel yeah yeah i mean they'll tell me I mean, I, it's crazy the way that happens. Um, a character that I introduced as... I'll, I'll tell you the perfect example of this, and I'll pull it right from Quayle Medallion. There's a, the, the character of Roland Denzel, who was not actually named specifically for my friend and fellow author Roland Denzel. Uh, I had the character name before I met the guy, but later I decided, hey, here's your homage. Um, but Roland Denzel is an FBI agent who literally his job in the in the first draft of the of the first few chapters at least of the book was um, he was an FBI escort for the for uh, for um, Dan Kotler to get him from point A to point B and that was going to be the only job he had and I mean literally that was it I I wrote the scene and I thought okay these this guy and his partner they'll they'll vanish now <laughs> their, their job is done and then i my character uh dan kotler says in a scene um when he's been approached by the uh, director of the fbi uh can i request someone to go with me and he asks for roland denzel i had no idea that was coming <laughs> and now that guy is in um the uh, sequel he plays as big a role in the sequel as he did in the first book so he he's a uh, he's a major character in this series now. Now whether he continues on, I can't say. I don't know for sure. But you know, in this book at least, he's he's a major player in the uh, in the second book. And w- where do you get your ideas for your books? 
Well, I steal them from Stephen King. <laughs> um, but no, I, I. So that's 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 the uniform question, right? Yep. Every, every author gets asked that question, yep. and and no author has a very good answer. Um, and my answer isn't going to be any better. But I mean, the ideas mostly come to me as I'm experiencing something else, which is one of the reasons why we want to get on the road full time for a while so that I can experience as many different things as possible. Um, but the, the idea for Quello Medallion uh, was, let's just say it started with a whole bunch of, of starts that I, I had written, um, a bunch of opening scenes that I had written years ago before I'd published that I thought, well, I'll keep these because you know, I, didn't, I didn't have the discipline to sit down and write the books, so I'll keep these bits and pieces. Maybe I'll use them again someday. When I was dared to write this book, I thought, well, here's an opportunity. I always said I'll use those. Let me see if I can work them into the book, and I did. Um, but I needed a MacGuffin. You know, I needed something for everyone to care about. And so I came up with this idea of this, this medallion. And then I thought, well, the medallion, it's boring. Everyone's done something Aztec. You know, what, what would be shocking? And uh, I had been reading about and watching, um, like, Discovery Channel shows and History Channel shows about vikings in america and i thought well wouldn't it be pretty awesome if there was um this you know uh, something that 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 connected vikings to ancient american cultures you know in a way that we never expected and so all these bits and pieces were, were kind of tumbling together when i got the dare and um my challenge was take these pieces it's like someone dumping a bucket of Legos parts in front of you and saying, build something, you yeah. know? Take these pieces and making something meaningful out of them. And I did. And there's, a, there's at least one scene in that book, um, in the opening, in the prologue, that I think arguably, I think people have pointed this out, and I think rightly so. I think it's weak. I think it could have, the book could have been uh, stronger, at least, without it. Um, but it was one of those pieces that I had kind of kept from the beginning. So I think I made a mistake in keeping that scene, but if not for that scene, one of the biggest elements of the story that I that I always thought was so cool wouldn't have is wouldn't have existed. And um, so I you know I introduced the idea in this scene that I probably could have done away with. I didn't need to introduce it, but I would never have thought of it if I hadn't introduced it. You know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, basically I. I I guess in that case, I stole all my ideas from me. <laughs> <laughs> For your self-conscious, right? <laughs> yeah. Over years. Uh, yeah. But they come, they come from everywhere. I mean, you, you as an author, um, we are filters. I mean, we're, we're, we're shapers in that, you know, we get the bits and pieces. We get the clay. We get the, the components, and we build from it. We're, we're crafters. We're makers. You know, mm -hmm. which is something I've always been. I've, even when I wasn't writing, I, I was always tinkering and building things, and I was always very good at repurposing things, coming up with new ideas for old stuff. And that's essentially what I do now. I read a lot. I read a lot of biographies, a lot of articles, a lot of. I read science journals. I'm one of the only people I know who literally actually reads science journals. You know, most people kind of claim they do, and then they read like an excerpt, <laughs> <laughs> or they read something on Facebook. Um, I read, um, you know, old magazines. I love combing through like archives of old newspapers and magazines, and you'd be amazed at the stories that come out of that. You know, I mean, you just just incredible things that were are essentially lost to time. <laughs> and then I synthesize all that. Yeah, I don't even know where to find a science journal. <laughs> oh man, you can find them there. So Google actually has a service specifically for journals, um, and I forget the name of it. I've got a big bookmarked. But I also, for a time, was subscribing to them, and then, I, then I, um, uh, I stopped subscribing and just started picking them up like the library. Or mm -hmm. I have uh, friends who are scientists and engineers, so they'll drop things off for me. So we can get them anywhere. Yeah. Go to the library. <laughs> so are there any similarities between you and your main characters? Like, does any parts of you make it into your books? I mean, I, 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 I essentially, I think good authors are also essentially actors mm -hmm. they may not have the skill and craft of acting but i mean it's a, a similar function and so i think there are always components of me in every character i write particularly with their sense of humor I, every time i write a character that has a wry sense of humor i'm pretty much just channeling me like i 
I'm, I'm telling the jokes I would tell in that scenario. Basically, what's great about writing is I can set up my own jokes. You know, like I, I can create the scenario that will allow me to tell the joke I want to tell. But um, yeah, I think ultimately there's there's a, a small component of me in every character, which is a little frightening if you think about it, because <laughs> I write bad guys too. You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, I write people who do horrible, horrible things, um, and I think that's that dark spot in your soul that you know we didn't we don't like to look at. Uh, but then I go and conquer that on the page with the good guys, and so it, it all balances out. <laughs> yeah. T- tapping the good and the bad inside of us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so um, uh, where do you usually uh, write? I mean, I know you're going to be hitting on an RV. Uh, yeah. How about now? Like, where do you usually write? So things have gotten kind of hinky. Um, since we got the RV, because what we did, I had a vehicle and I traded the vehicle and, and some other stuff and some money uh, so that we could get the RV. And the RV is parked primarily at a storage right now. So I, I'm more or less confined to wherever I can walk or bike to at the moment. <laughs> Luckily, there is a Starbucks uh, just a few blocks away, so I write there a lot. I love some of my favorite places to write are hotel lobbies, especially like vintage hotels. Um, I love, of course, any coffee shops and cafes. Uh, that's fine. I, I love going to Barnes and Noble because after I'm kind of done writing, I can go cruise the aisles and, you know, I, I get ideas from book covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird. It's just one. I didn't mention that earlier, but I mean, one of my sources of ideas is to look at someone else's book cover and, and imagine what the story could be, and then go write that story. Oh, wow. Huh? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, things, places like that, and. At home, I write at home quite frequently, and I've, we've got this huge um, wooden dining table wedged into a small uh, breakfast nook area. But it's it's like the, the kind of table you would see in like old libraries, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's just something about sitting at a table like this, you know, my laptop, maybe a, I've got a, a notebook and a pen to the side if I want to jot something down or whatever. But I, you know, it's a very uh, vintage feeling space, and it's just for me. Like I, it's not, it's it's part of our living space, and we'll we'll use it for dinner or whatever occasionally. Though we usually just eat on our laps watching TV. But um, you know, this is this is solid space for me. So you know, as long as I've got kind of a window to look out of and a nice hard table in front of me, I, you know, I'm usually pretty good. The RV offers these things, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of picturing you sitting in this big wooden table, like all regal. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what it's. Other than I'm, I dress like a slouch most of the time. Um, it is kind of like that, but once we're in the RV, it's it's now we've got a crappy little table I plan to replace, and my wife is kind of you know rolling her eyes about it. But um, but the goal there also is. Right now, I live in the Houston, Texas area, and it's just hot as hell all the time, mm-hmm. and high humidity all the time. And so, I don't go outside to write very frequently because, um, you know, I'm spoiled to air conditioning. But when we've traveled, and we've been in Colorado and other places that tend to remain dry and cool, then I love getting out, you know, setting up a table or getting on a picnic table or something and writing with nature around me. Like that's just awesome. Like that's just. A goal of mine is to sit with a lake and some mountains and a bunch of trees around me, you know, with my RV behind me and go do the work. That's my goal. <laughs> That's a dream. Yeah, I can see that could be like a good uh, series too, like a, kind of like a Jack Reacher type, but he's in an yeah. RV going around. So it's funny you say that because I actually have a small serialized set of stories uh, called Think Tank in which the main character is a. Uh, We'll call him a displaced billionaire for now, um, who uh, buys an RV and goes around solving the world's problems with his team of, of uh, experts. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> they're not really thrillers, I guess, but or maybe they are. I, I, now that I've got a whole new respect for thrillers, I need to re-examine them because they may technically fall under the thriller category. So, what are some of the challenges that 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 you encounter when you're writing your fiction? Um. So it's, I've got the everyday challenges every author has, like, um, you know, constant interruptions from life, uh, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have, like, writer's block or anything. I I don't even, I've never had writer's block. 
I, I think for me, the bigger challenges are things like um, you get every writer hits what they call the muddy middle, mm-hmm. where you get to a certain point in the story and you're kind of like, what the heck do I do now? Um, and I don't consider that writer's block. What I do at that point is go back and start from the beginning. I start reading and editing and telling myself the story again. And then by the time I get to the muddy middle, I've got momentum again, and I jump right back in and, and start writing. Um, but, you know, those are, I've got the everyday challenges. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing that, that hits me, you know, every now and then or every day even that anyone else doesn't have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. and do you, do you, so you write every day? I write every day, yeah. yeah. I have a, a word target. Okay, so I was going to ask you, you got a word target? Yeah, okay. yeah I know th- different things work for different authors. And uh, for the authors listening, I mean, I, don't, I always hesitate to say what I'm about to say because um, people tend to weigh themselves against others. But, I mean, I have a word target of 5,000 words a day, and I hit it every day. Oh, wow. Um, the thing is, <laughs> some writers can't do that. Some writers can do more than that. Um, but I, I think that what's important is to have something like, you know, I'm uh, disciplined, I guess. Uh, not, I guess. You need a discipline. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so you need to either say, I'm going to write X words per day or I'm going to write for X amount of time per day. And then you do that every day. And, you know, for me, if I don't hit 5,000 words in the morning when I, in my prime writing time and life takes over and I got to do other stuff, uh, you know, I'm not a night person. I'm a morning person. But if if nine o'clock rolls around, ten o'clock rolls around, and I haven't finished my five thousand words, I got to sit down and finish them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the that's the discipline. Um, feels like punishment at that point. But I mean, those words, by the way, can often be complete crap uh, at ten o'clock at night. But they are, you know, that's five thousand words. You know, I mean, that's that's the goal. But if your goal is to write, you know, an hour or two hours a day, then make sure that you're you're getting that total time, even if it's thirty minutes here or thirty minutes there. Just make sure you're hitting the goal every day. And so, what keeps you going to continue writing? I cannot imagine my life without the writing. Like I, I just would not have a life. I don't. I. I. It's such a part of me, and it's such a passion for me. Um, I've done it all my life. I uh, I do it, uh, and that's thunder, by the way. That's not my stomach growling or anything. Oh. Uh, but I, I do, uh, you know, I can't imagine a life other than what I have. I can't imagine doing anything else in my life uh, if it took me away from the writing. But what comes, you know, there are tough days. Everyone faces them. And, I mean, coming back for me is a matter of, I well, the readers help a lot. Like, I've got readers who write and tell me how much they love the work, how much they appreciate that I talk to them because I, I respond to every email I get. I send out a bunch of free stuff all the time. <laughs> People on my mailing list, you know, I've probably given away more books than I've ever sold. Um, yeah, I see that you're uh, you're you're giving like a starter library on your website. To yeah, have that link up for the for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, kevintomlinson.com/slash/starter-library, and you can get three three of my best books for free. Wow. Um, and I. I am actually going to retool that at some point so that people are getting thrillers. Uh, right now, it's science. It, there's a science fiction book, there's a fantasy book, and there's a um, another science fiction book, it's a novella, mm-hmm. and uh, all of which people love. And <clears throat> I uh, I love giving them out. And they're, you know, they're they're series starters. You know, I mean, they're they they get you into my work and encourage you to keep reading. And so that's part of why they're there. But I would I give away copies of books all the time to people i a lot of an odd thing about my mailing list a lot of my readers are older retired people who um have fixed incomes mm. so you know i'll have people contact me and say i'd really love to read your new book uh but you know for example this collection i just released it's like ten dollars uh, i'd really love to read your new book but you know i don't have the budget to spend ten dollars on on a book well, understandable i mean i spend I've been known to spend thousands of dollars on books at a time, but I understand it's, you know, everyone's got their limitations, you know, and nine times out of 10, I'll give them that book, you know, and and say, you know, if you don't mind, if you like it, go review it because we need reviews as much as we need cash really. Mm, (laughs) I've never uh, once regretted doing that, you know, not like I've never thought, oh, there's a sale I didn't get, you know, Mm -hmm. and 
there were lots of times where I did I could have used at least one sale. <laughs> so. Yeah. So you also interact a lot with the writing community too. I know. I noticed you have uh, books helping authors or write or w- yeah. r- want to be authors. Will be authors. Will be authors. Okay. Oh, I like that. That's good. That's, what, that's the phrase yeah. I like to use. Yeah. So it's because I have this philosophy that everyone. Um, I know there are different levels of skill. Okay. But if I can write a book on notebook paper at five years old, you, you can write a book. <laughs> and so I, I wrote a book. Uh, I wrote a 30-day author, and it's all about developing a daily writing habit. That's really all it's about. I give a, a formula for writing books, the same formula I use now um, and uh, in my daily writing. I, I don't, you know, I, my goal was never to make that, like, an empire, a nonfiction empire, or anything. I'm, I'm probably going to write some expansions to it at some point. But yeah, I'm, I, I, I consider myself a very big advocate for the indie publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got five podcasts of my own. I've got that nonfiction book. I do a lot of speaking engagements. Um, I just uh, connected with um, a company. I, I can't make the full announcement just yet, but I mean, I just. I just connected with a company that's very involved in the indie uh, publishing industry, and I'm building, helping to build resources for for authors. Um, it's a, I guess when you, because of the way I came in, I mean, I started with a traditional contract. Um, <clears throat> I can do basic math, so I figured out pretty quickly that I was going to lose money. Mm-hmm. I paid back the advance that I got, um, lost the rights to my book for four years. And then, uh, and then when I kind of heard stirrings about things like you know Kindle and CreateSpace and these sorts of things, you know, I, I I went all in and embraced that, and then learned as much as I could. And then I connect with indie authors and publishers all the time now. And you know, I, I, I mean, I get around. I mean, I've, I've I've done practically every podcast there is, <laughs> um, and I, you know, most of which I own apparently, or I'm a part owner. Um, yeah, that's it's. A, I think the reason that I am so uh, on fire for that industry is because of how awesome everyone in the industry is to each other. Like everyone gives, gives, gives all the time. You know, if someone discovers a new method for marketing their work, you know, 10 seconds later, every author they've ever met in their life is hearing the story, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a new service comes out that's going to be helpful to authors. They, they push everyone into that service. We've got to support these guys. We've got to get out there and build something new that helps authors. And there are people who take advantage of that. I mean, there's a, you know, there are people who create things that specifically to milk money from, from this industry. And I... What can you say? That's every business. Yeah, you know, that's every industry. I mean, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big big proponent of the indie publisher industry. Yeah, yeah, that is true. It is, it is very people help each other out, even in this you know same genres or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just uh, it's, doesn't matter. It's nice to see that there's no such thing as competition yeah. in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the biggest thing. Um, when when the big five do their whole you know puff their chest up and crow about how. Um, you know, e- the ebook is on the decline, and yeah. you know, I'm like, are you crazy? Like, I, that's it's uh, it's puffery. I mean, it's just BS, and you, and it makes me very angry because I'm looking around and saying, well, yeah, I literally read an article um, a few months ago that that stated just literally stated <laughs> that um, there are, there are only a handful, like less than a hundred people who are making their living on indie publishing, yeah. and I'm like. Oh, okay. There's like ten thousand people in this Facebook group that are all making their living on indie publishing. So I'm not sure where that number comes from. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They can you can slice in the data and make things look anyway you want. want. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I it, the thing is though, they set up a zero sum game. They're in their the way they play it. It's either traditional publishing, and that means print books only, because they don't really believe in ebooks. Or uh, you're on you're on the losing team, quote unquote, by going the indie route. And what's hilarious about that is if you talk to any indie publisher, they see it exactly uh, different from that. I mean, they're they're. It's like I'm not I am not in competition with Stephen King or you know James Rollins or anybody. I'm not in competition with them because if you buy a uh, if you buy a Dan Brown book 
and my book is sitting right next to it. I did not lose a sale um, because of Dan Brown. There's no reason that that same reader won't go read that Dan Brown book and then come back and pick my book up later. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just no, there's no competition at all. Um, they, there's competition for attention, which he who has the most money can usually win, but I don't even play that game. You know, I'm, I'm not running in the same circles as these guys. I'm, I'm, I have my thousand true fans and that's really all I need to, to accomplish my dream. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's an article in the New York times. I think the, how you can buy into the New York bestsellers list for like 200,000 bucks or something. Exactly. Right. Right, yeah. and so okay, and, and my question about that is, if if it comes to a point where you can buy your way onto that list, then what is that list actually worth? Yeah, because I I can tell you for certain, if I had two hundred grand to just throw at that list, um, and I bought in, at that point the list is completely worthless to everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 people can can just spend money and be on it then they're not really a bestseller i mean how does that work yeah you know yeah yeah usually they're selling other services they're like especially, right. especially in the non-fiction world <laughs> yeah. right yeah. so what's the next dan cutler uh, book coming out so that will be uh the atlantis riddle which i have a confession i'll tell i'll tell your audience this will be the first time i think i've told anyone this on air Pretty sweet. Um, exclusive. so there's it's kind of so this whole series started as kind of an, a joke, right? Mm-hmm. A, not a joke, but a dare, right? Mm-hmm. So, but there are inside jokes in, in this whole thing. So here's, here's a good one. <laughs> uh, back before I took the dare, um, my friend Nick Thacker, so he's written a series of books, and they're amazing. And if you, if you are looking for thrillers, he's got some really great stuff. Look for The Enigma Strain. That's a great one. Uh, Amazon Code just came out. So there's my free plug for Nick. You're welcome, Nick. Um, so, but he was invited by A.G. Riddle to write in in the uh, Kindle Worlds um, universe for his uh, Atlantis Gene series, and so he wrote a book called The Atlantis Deception, which I read and edited, and um, you know helped him get it ready to go, and um, and so we were joking one day. <laughs> uh, I said, you know, it'd be funny uh, if I wrote a it, you know, we ought to write a book called, um, you know, The Atlantis Riddle, you know, because A.G. Riddle writes those Atlantis books. Maybe we would, you know, like cannibalize some of his sales, you know. So that was the joke, right? And uh, and then I wrote, when he dared me to write uh, the, my first thriller, I, and I, I named it Quello Medallion. I named it for uh, Paulo Quello, the author of uh, The Alchemist. Oh, okay. And, um... So it just because I mean I don't know I pulled I, I more or less pulled it out of a hat but I mean I I liked his work he he doesn't write thrillers I didn't see any issue um, and then this book uh, when I was thinking about a, a follow up to it I thought well now I could write I can write Atlantis real because now it's it's the second book it's not the first book so it's, I'm not really trying to pull anything here but I always like the title you know so I I um, named it that so the inside joke is that it's it was kind of a, uh, a gag, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I started kind of figuring out, well, what would be the Atlantis riddle? What would be unique? I don't want to write the same, you know, every thriller author writes about Atlantis, about the Amazon, about, you know, Aztecs, you know, these are things that keep coming back. Right. Uh, so I want something unique. And so I, you know, I've been playing around with some ideas and I think I've got something that's going to be fairly cool. Um, and I couldn't have, I could not have written it could not have written this book the way it's going to be written if I hadn't first written Quello Medallion. And so it's, it's, a nice little, it's a nice little balance. So the next book is, is Quello Medallion. There's another book, um, uh, a novella tied to the series. It's a prequel uh, called The Brass Hall, which is also available on Amazon. And people have loved that book. Um, and, you know, I've already got ideas for, for more. I mean, I, Dan Kotler is going to be with me for a while, I think. I mean, he won't be exclusive. It's not the only character I'll write from now on, but he's going to be with me for a while. All right, cool. And then, the, and then, and the third one will, will be written in an RV, right? So yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And if so, oh, and that's what that was what I was going to point out was that so far both books have um, uh, author names as part of the title. 
Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if I'll continue that. Maybe I will. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe someday it'll be like, you know, I don't know, the the, the Rollins uh, syndrome or something, you know. The, whatever. The king something. <laughs> king, yeah. king's, king's Road. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so well, that is a good title. That line is riddle. That is a, a very good title. I like it. Yeah, actually, I think it's going to be very cool. And I'm, what's cool for me is I'm actually tying in a story, an apocryphal story about Thomas Edison's life. It's it's one of the opening scenes. I think it is the opening scene right now, unless I change things later, because there was an incident in which his laboratory in Orange County burned to the ground. And he's standing outside, and his son Charlie comes up to him and, and is expecting his his father to be very you know morose about the whole thing. And his father's like, "Go get your mother. This is the, no one's ever going to see anything like this again. Go you know go get her friends. You know." Yeah. And so I included that scene, and I I put a little twist on it, um, and made it part of the plot. Oh, so, cool. yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, is there anything else you want to say to the listeners before I let you go? Especially with the thunderstorms out there, you're gonna get that lightning oh, I know. strike. <laughs> I know. It's weird. Our weather's been really crazy for the past. Yeah, few those floods in Houston and hopefully, yeah. yeah, it's been kind of. Nuts. Hopefully, we don't get more of that. No, I, I guess um, we mentioned this earlier, but I mean, if anyone wants to just try my workout, um, you can you can do it for free. Uh, if you go to kevintumlinson.com/slash/starter-library, they'll let you get three of my books. You'll get on my mailing list. So if you're interested in thrillers, that's that's a good way to hear about the next one um, as soon as it's in pre-order. And, uh, you know, you can check out Coilo Medallion online. I mean, it, it's now it's kind of tapered off. But, I mean, it hit number one for a while uh, in in its category. Um, and then it's consistently stayed in the top 100 in that category, I think. So Yeah, that's great. People are digging it. I mean, it's 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 been my best... Uh, best-selling book. I mean, yeah. it's and, really... I, and I love the cover. The cover is awesome. Thanks, man. I, I design that. I design all my own covers. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I, you can do that as a side business. That's really nice. I've, I've and I've kind of done that on the side for a few folks. I don't do it all the time, but yeah, I I, I enjoy it. It's my way of finishing the book. Like yeah. it's, um, graphic design was something I did as part of my business for a long time, and I uh, I've got some dog covers. I won't I won't kid you i mean i had some pretty crappy covers on previous books for a while but um yeah that one turned out great wow yeah i'm jealous save the on the designer fees too. it does save money (laughs) i i kind of kill myself because i do all the jobs but i i this is what i've always been and it's hard for me to hand these things over to someone else you know (laughs) (laughs) i don't advise that for everyone but i mean it's just that's well, just, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you have a talent because I could, yeah, I, I could never come up with something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Thanks. Man. All right. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And if anyone ever wants to to uh, just chat with me, uh, I I'm very open about emails and that sort of thing. So you know, hit the contact button on my website and say hello. All right. Great. Thanks, Kevin.